0: The nature of psychological compulsion is such that those who act under constraint remain under the impression that they are acting on their own initiative. The victim of mind manipulation does not know that he is a victim. To him, the walls of his prison are invisible and he believes himself to be free. That he is not free is apparent only to other people. His servitude is strictly objective. Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. From our suburb to yours, it's time to get mystified. You're listening to another episode of Straight From the Suburb. Welcome back to the Straight from the Suburbs podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. I am the Crip Keeper, and today, the Crip set up shop in the Wolf's Den. We are at my paranormal producer, Wolfman Jackson's lovely home. Thanks for having us. Now, the quote from British author Aldous Huxley is not actually taken from Brave New World, but from the follow-up essay Huxley published in 1958, 26 years post-publishing Brave New World. When I read Brave New World, it's amazing, by the way, I perceived it as the whole world being a cult. That was my interpretation. Totalitarian is a good word to describe the novel as well as cult. In the essay revisited, it is a piece of nonfiction. It really is an intelligent essay written by Huxley that concludes that the world is fast moving towards being just like Brave New World, the novel, faster than he thought. The point that Huxley made that stood out to me, the Keeper, is that drama, drugs, and subliminal suggestion combined with flamboyance makes not for a brave new world, but a brand new cult. Being free and thinking for yourself is how people are tricked into voluntarily falling into line and following orders, no questions asked. Such is a cult, trickery. Just like a pyramid scheme, there's always somebody at the top triangular point. Cults have been around for a long time, since always, if you think about it, a charismatic leader with a golden tongue, gifted with the gift of vernacular prowess, has been repeated for eons. Hell, my last podcast episode, the topics can be construed as a cult. Huh, wait, is this part two of the Goglin family? No, it's not. And it's not the Manson family either. Quite possibly the most famous cult in modern times. Crazy anecdote, loyal listeners. In speaking about books and novels, have you ever read Helter Skelter? The book about the Manson cult and the infamous murders and subsequent crazy trial? It's written by the prosecutor James Bugliosi, and he spares no detail in explaining the charisma, fanaticism, creepiness, and total control that Charles Manson had over his followers. It's an amazing read but be warned, it comes with a price. I read it in Singapore while traveling with my friend Ziad, and while I read, Ziad noticed a change in me. Firstly, I was not sleeping. I couldn't, the book had me raptured. I could not eat, I was talking incoherently while sleeping and while awake. I would zone out and was not much of a travel companion. Quite simply, I became weird. Ziad often asked if I was okay, but I was zoned out, zombified taken over by the eccentric details of the book. I was overcome by the intricacies and odd occurrences described in vivid detail regarding Manson from the pages of the book. Zia kept telling me I was not making any sense and maybe I should stop reading the book. I thought to myself, this book is creeping me out and it's making me a weirdo, but I could not put it down. Recovery came one day when I finished the book while riding on a bus. Now. I like to keep my books. The books I read, I love to keep. I have a collection of the books that I read. Kind of like trophies. But on my literary trophy case, you will not find Helter Skelter. I left it on the bus in Singapore that day for someone else to pick up. Hopefully, that person will be of stronger metal than me. I imagine that is what being a cult feels like. Controlled. Locked in. Baiting words and ignorant to the fact that despite loved ones trying to free you, from your restraints and realizing those concerned, Ziad, are correct, you just can't get out. A cult story from not too long ago happened right in our own backyards, Montreal, Quebec to be exact. This occurrence is steeped in occult history and spans the globe, but was once central in one of Quebec's biggest tragedies. It made international news that fateful day when mass suicides and murders took place and put the Montreal cult community on the map. What started in Europe ended in Montreal, only one and a half hours away from Ottawa. Ladies and gentlemen of the crypt, welcome to the Order of the Solar Temple. With Montreal being so close, it was hard to believe that such a cult could be in existence so close to Ottawa. I remember watching it unfold on the news and reading about it in the Ottawa Citizen newspaper. I love local mysteries, I still do, and this one caught my attention and stayed with me all these years. I mean, how can you not get sucked into the story? Ceremonial magic, altars, hidden rooms, choreographed suicide, international murders, Knights Templar, Freemasonry, outer space? But first, how did the Order of the Solar Temple come to be? The objective of the Order of the Solar Temple, or OTS, was to establish correct notions of authority and power in the world. They were keen on the idea of spiritual over temporal, seeing themselves as forever beings. They thought it was their responsibility to assist humanity through a great transition, all the while preparing for the second coming of Christ, whom they believed would be a solar god-king. The group drew some inspiration for its teachings from British occultist Aleister Crowley, who headed the Order Templi Orientis, or the Order of the Eastern Temple, from 1923 until 1947. Whereas Crowley relied heavily on Ra, the Egyptian sun god, the OTS had a solar lord whom they revered. The sun solar was the key. The Order of the Solar Temple's history can be traced back well before the 1990s. The group was founded in France in 1984 by Joe Dimambro and Luc Johret. Pre OTS, from 1956 to 1969, Joe Dimambro was part of another cult called the Ancient Mystic Order Rose Crucians, or AMORC. Following the occult teachings and practices he learned while being part of AMORC, DiMambro took seven years of spiritual esoteric exile and prepared himself to be a cult leader. Resurfacing in 1976, Jody Mambro founded the Center for the Preparation of the New Age. He recruited some men and women who became his devotees. Under De Mambro's guidance, he prepared them for the arrival of the New Age by having them follow their group's philosophy and performing esoteric ceremonies. 1978 came around, and DeMambro expanded his cult by opening a second temple, this time in Geneva, Switzerland, where it was called the Golden Way Foundation. It's in Geneva where DeMambro met a young medical student named Luc Jauré. Jure was a young, handsome, charismatic, and intelligent. Soon, Juret left his medical studies and became a full-time follower. Luc Jure rose rapidly through the cult ranks, all under the guidance of Joe DiMambro. With Juret second-in-command, the cult gathered many followers, many high-ranking followers, high-end businessmen, mayors, government officials, and other European high society members, all fell into place and under the spell of the charismatic cult combo of Dimambro and Jure. In 1984, the Golden Way Foundation packed up and moved to Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and became the Order of the Solar Temple, OTS. They crossed the Atlantic and brought with them their Masonic promise of immortality, little on fact that Masons promise immortality. They kept temples in Switzerland, France, and Belgium, but have made so much money from the devotees' donations that they headquartered right here in Canada. While DiMambro led the group behind the scenes, Luc Jauré was his public face. He lectured across Canada and soon enrolled thousands of followers from Ottawa to Vancouver. So now the OST was international with thousands of devotees, all picked by the cult's leader DiMambro and Jauré. Although they accepted all donations and followers, it was only those high rollers that got privy to the OST's major secrets, ceremonies, and esoteric guidance. The more you donate, the more you know. Imambrun Jure set up the OTS in a three-layer trinity, with each level feeding the next. The first structure was called the Amanta Club. The goal of this club was to disseminate the group's philosophy and to bring together a spiritual elite in order to achieve a higher state of consciousness. This club offered lectures on various themes in Canada. These lectures drew large numbers. The second structure was called the Arcadia Club. After recruiting a small number of individuals to the Amanta Club and giving them some basic occult knowledge, certain participants were invited to join the Arcadia Club. The objective of this club was to provide members with more advanced esoteric knowledge that would enable them to move towards a higher consciousness. The third structure was called the International Knighthood Organization. Access to the structure was even more restricted. Its members had access to special publications, knowledge, secrets and initiations exclusive to the Order Solar Temple. Dimamu presented himself to the members as a conduit of higher beings and the receiver and transmitter of divine messages, which he would receive during group ceremonies. These twice daily ceremonies for the elite OST were elaborate and mystical. They took place in a secret temple room in Montreal, Switzerland, and France. They wore Templar robes and stood together in a peculiar star-like formation in their secret circular room with red and gold trimmings. As the lights dimmed, the member would approach the altar and preach upon high of the evangelical Christian doctrine he combined with the cult of Freemasonry. Their goal was to recreate the 14th century Hermetic order of the Golden Dawn and the Templar because of a belief that the apocalypse was near. The devotees listened attentively and were all made to believe that there is esoteric merit in the social structure that in such a climate of global discord, the occult principle of the OST will bring consciousness, harmony, and control. Ultimately, members of the OST were convinced that once the end of the world comes, they'll be transported to a planet orbiting the star Sirius in order to live out an afterlife. Now, of course, to be granted this afterlife privilege, one had to be a devout member with steep pockets. That is why de Mambro and Juret seeked out the rich and powerful to be main members. In their heyday the OST boasted several millionaires, policemen, respected civil servants, doctors, high-end musicians, athletes, and parliament members as devotees. With all the monthly fees coming in from devotees around the world, this allowed de Mambro and Juret to live a lavish lifestyle. Cars, boats, villas and trips kept jure, but de especially living the good life. With all this high-end living, how would they have time to perform their rituals? They made time and set up elaborate ceremonies where the incanted spirits prophesied future events, summoned spirits who appeared to a convinced congregation. They also purchased holy relics from their international travels, bringing back books ceremonial Templar swords and daggers, as well as parchment, teachings, and summoning spells. When they summon spirits or demons during their Goetia sessions, certain relics would be known to levitate or illuminate. Secrets of the universe would be shared from the other dimensions, as well as all the mysteries of life. Their ceremonial garb made up of Templar robes and Egyptian headdress Combined with the occult engravings and sigils on the walls of their secret and sacred temple, were all used to convince their brainwashed followers that DiMambro was to be the second coming of their Messiah, Jesus Christ turned Solar Lord, that his word was bond. DiMambro and Jure held immense esoteric power over their devotees, and to quote Spider Man, with great power comes great responsibility. But the two headed Hydra that was DiMambro and Jure did not take responsibility. They started to abuse their power. They added a sexual level to their occult teachings, and soon part of their rituals involved having sex whenever they wanted with any of their female devotees. Of course, this started friction amongst the ranks, and cracks started to appear. From one of his many sexual trysts, Di impregnated a young 23-year-old devotee. She gave birth to Di daughter whom they called Emmanuel. DeMambrough used this opportunity to declare that his newborn daughter was born as the Order of the Solar Temple savior and that she was the cosmic child and the true messiah whom the OST started to worship. It's hard to believe that the messiah is living just down the 401 in Montreal. Rumors and factions started to form within the Order of the Solar Temple. All the donations received were meant to be used to open health and spiritual centers around Quebec, but none were yet to be built. Instead, the followers only saw the lavish lifestyles of De Mambro and Juhay. People wanted to leave, but threats were made. DeMambro became authoritarian and demanded unconditional obedience. He was suspicious of competitors and certain members felt that he was trying to divide them in an effort to increase control over the group. Jure went back to Switzerland to appease the European faction. With the OST weakening, Di Mambro became paranoid. He excommunicated two devout followers, Tony Dutrois and his wife Suzanne Robinson. Di Mambro kicked them out because Suzanne got pregnant by her husband and not Di Mambro. In his haste, DiMambro had previously stopped his followers from having sex unless it was with him. Tony and Suzanne kept their marriage going despite Di Mambro. Further insult to injury occurred when Suzanne gave birth to a son they called Christophe Emmanuel Dutois. Giving their son, one of the names Emmanuel was deemed as sacrilegious, as the Mambro's star child and Messiah was named Emmanuel. Enraged, DeMambro labeled and identified young Christophe as the Antichrist and ordered him destroyed. On October 14, 1994, Police in Morin Heights, Quebec, arrived at the scene of a fire. Two charred bodies were found. They were identified as OST members Colette Rocha and Jerry Genoux. Two days later, the bodies of two more adults were found in a closet in the same cottage, both shielding a third, smaller body, a baby. The unfortunate victims were who you think they are. Tony Dutrois and his wife, Suzanne Robinson, and their young son, Christophe Emmanuel Dutois. All victims were viciously massacred, as they were all found stabbed with a wooden stake, their bodies then set aflame. With the cult on the brink of imploding and having committed the ultimate sin, Dumambrou and got desperate and upped the ante. They started to preach to the remaining devotees about transitioning. Without saying their intentions directly, those brainwashed followers knew exactly what transitioning meant. Soon it was declared that the apocalypse was nigh and ecological collapse was imminent. Jure and Di told members it was necessary that they transported themselves ahead of time in order to get an early start on inhabiting their promised planet orbiting Sirius. Those who refused to follow up in poisoning themselves were forced into the afterlife. Swiss officials found many members shot in the head or asphyxiated with plastic bags and in, in the charred remains of the OSC temple in the Swiss village of Chéry and Grange-sur-Salvin. 23 bodies in Chéry and 25 in Salvin perished that day in late October, 1994. In December, 1995, the second transit began, this time in Vercole, France. DiMambro, Mambro, playing the part of Jesus, recreated the Last Supper during which he and his inner circle mimicked Christ's last dinner with his apostles. The group was later found immolated. The French police investigation revealed that 14 of the 16 victims have injected sedatives and were then shot twice. Two members, possibly DiMambro and Jouret, had the job of killing the 14 others. They then sprayed the bodies with an accelerant to burn them. The two then sprayed their bodies with the accelerant, set it on fire as they shot themselves in the head. When the bodies were found, the deceased members were found lying in a creepy circular star-like formation with their feet pointing towards the inside of the circle, all pointing to the star child, the murdered young Emmanuel de Mambro, daughter of cult leader Joe DeMambro. On March 22, 1997, in Saint Casimir, Quebec, five OST followers committed suicide by ingesting poison and then setting fire remotely to the house. They were also found lying in the same star like formation. Oddly enough, the group's three children were allowed to leave and hide out in the garage while their parents poisoned and set fire to themselves. Those children were physically unharmed but psychologically scarred for life. Around the globe, some members were outraged by the mass suicides, while others expressed regret that they had not participated in the transits. Some viewed those deceased members as martyrs and that they sacrificed themselves in order to save the world and pave the way for future transits. Some of those left behind started killing themselves as a way to catch up. Oh my God, talk about brainwashed. By the end of the cult's interstellar transport rituals, 74 people had died by either murder or suicide. Those numbers grow yearly as suicides still continue under the banner and belief of the Order of the Solar Temple. Crazily enough, the Order of the Solar Temple still remains active today and boasts several hundred members in Quebec alone. Charisma combined with occult teachings can be a deadly mix. Case in point, cults all over the world. The historical cult incidents in Waco and Jonestown should have triggered the Order of the Solar Templars devotees to change their ways, but it didn't. The truth you hear is difficult to convey onto others. But when it works, it works. The Crypt Keeper believes that occult teachings are a solo trip philematically to be done alone. But if done with a group, be wary as to who you put your faith in, as it could be a cult. Hell, I have listeners who follow this podcast and listen attentively. Maybe, unbeknownst to yourselves, you are slowly being doctrined into the -the straight-from-the-suburbs cult. If you continue to listen to me, the Crypt Keeper, I have two words for you. Welcome aboard. Big thanks to all my devoted listeners in The crip, The paranormal production mastery of Wolfman Jackson and the show sponsor, Ace Squared Hairstyles, the lovely couple of Andrew and Amy. Hey, why be A1 when you could be A Squared? I'm The Crypt Keeper signing off. And as always, stay suburban, Stay mystified.